Well, this morning's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians, uh, starting in chapter 6 at verse 18 says, And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Thanks, BJ. I'm not going to say hello again because I already did that. First John chapter 2, if you would, this morning, let's get to um, our Bible study time. As you turn to 1 John 2, um, we're going to head towards the end of this chapter, and we'll actually complete chapter 2 this morning, and we'll get into chapter 3 a little bit. Um, but as we begin, thought came to my mind in reading, and, and an unknown source said there's a vast difference between a house and a home. There's a vast difference between a, a house and a and a home, and I think it's something we understand, don't we? We know the difference of walking into a house, and we know the difference of walking into a home. And here's how I would qualify the difference between those two. Those two, a house serves its purpose for shelter, for warmth and security. But then to somebody's, a house serves its purpose in the very practical sense. But it's a house, and you know you're not at home, right? You wouldn't just, well, maybe some of you would, just walk into their kitchen and open their fridge up and just make yourself at home. It's their house, right? And so you, it, there's something about a house that's, that's not yours, that's, that's someone else's. But then there's a home. It does the same basic things where it gives you the shelter, it gives you the, the warmth, it gives you the housing that you need, but you belong there. It's home. Some, some of the young adults have described my house as their home. They feel very comfortable there because it's made to be that way. And, and that wasn't an easy feat because for a very long time, we tried to make sure they didn't feel like it was a home or else they would never leave. And so there's, there's an aspect to welcoming people in where it's like, but you want them to feel at home with you. Uh, our church is a type of this because it, it's, it's been a goal of our leadership team from the very beginning that for those whom the Lord has called to be here with us, that Transform Ministries would be your home. Sure, we have a lot of the things that other churches have. What would make us different for the right people to gather together and to be a church family is that this place would be home for you. That you would feel like you belong here. That, don't do this, but you could almost kick your shoes off here. I'm not going to tell you where, but some people did during all night prayer. You're like, ah, but here's the thing. Are we comfortable in this place? Are we comfortable and open and unmasked as a church because this is our home? It's not just a house. It's where we belong. There's a spiritual reality to this. In 1 John 2, 24 through 27, last week, BJ taught about remaining in Christ as he remains in us. As the Holy Spirit remains in us, we are to remain in Christ. This, this theme of remain as he's continued to, to cycle back again and again and dig these, these very important subjects up for us as the church, the idea of remaining has been on the forefront of our mind as we've gone through chapter 2, and it'll, it'll happen again a little bit in chapter 3 as well. John's going to expound further on remaining in Christ, and here's the reality I want us to grasp, okay? Listen, this is what I really want us to grab onto together this morning. 
Jesus has not invited us to lodge with him. He has called us to live with him. We do not lodge with Jesus. We live with him. That's what remaining in him means. We're not to go to Jesus one day and to the world another. He's not a fun vacation from your problems. He's not a quick getaway. Oh, I'm really hurting. I need to pray. That's not, Jesus isn't interested in only having you around when things are are either good or bad. He wants all of you. He wants you to come and to live with him. He wants you to be in him. That's what remaining means. He is our home. And so with that idea of Jesus being our home base, this is where we are. This is is our new identity. If you read through Ephesians, what Paul teaches throughout the book of Ephesians is that we've had an identity change. It's no longer I, but Christ. Now my identity is found in who Jesus is. That's the whole point of being a Christian. It's not to be a better version of me. It's not for you to be a better version of you. The old dies and passes away and behold a new creation. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. And if we understand this reality of our daily lives, that we don't lodge with Jesus, that we live with him, that he is our everything, that we remain in him. Verse 28 of chapter 2 makes a whole lot of sense. And that's where we're going this morning. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. I'm going to read down through the third verse of chapter 3. John continues, he says, So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. John Wilbur Chapman was a 19th century evangelist. He wrote a hymn that was entitled One Day. And in verse 5 of that hymn, and then in the refrain, it reads this way. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one's bringing. Glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. That refrain for me, just like was on my heart all week long. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. That is the anticipation and the excitement and the joy that we are waiting for. That our Savior is coming. And we've talked about this a handful of times over the last few weeks that that should excite us a lot more than things in this world excite us. That we're going to see Jesus, that Jesus is going to come and this glorious day will dawn that the reign and the rule of Christ has begun. The essence of John's statement here in verse 28 is that remaining in Christ we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. It should be something we're excited about, not worried about. 
right? I don't know if you guys have talked to people, and I, I mean, I'm sure it's none of you, but have, do you know anyone who's like concerned about the end times? That's concerned about when Jesus is going to come back? Not afraid. Bring it on. It's going to be great. You're like, no, it's going to be horrible. Listen, the world's been horrible since Genesis 3. The world's been a wreck since sin. Bring on the rule and reign of Jesus. Amen? I'm ready for that. The imminent return of Jesus ought to be a call for us to unashamedly run to him. Eugene Peterson said this, live deeply in Christ. Then we'll be ready for him when he appears. Notice this, ready to receive him with open arms, with no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses when he arrives. There is no need for lame excuses when Jesus arrives if we are remaining in him. In fact, his children are going to run to him. His children are going to be stoked out of their minds. Sorry, just a little bit of my culture. Whatever word excites you, it's going to be bodacious. (laughs) Whoops. To remain in Christ is to welcome the arrival of our dearest friend, the most precious person to us. Think about this. What's one of the most exciting things you experience when you're going to visit someone that you haven't seen for a long time? I'm talking about your best friend. You know you're going to do stuff together. That's going to be fun, right? But what are you most excited for? To see them, right? Back in the day when people used to actually go right up to the gate in the airports. That's right, children. You used to be able to do that. You know, right up at the gate, you'd see people off. You watch them walk down. You stand at the window watching the plane leave. You know, like you can't do that anymore. But back in my day, we could. You guys remember the anticipation of when someone was coming to see you? that you love, you ever been separated from a spouse or a loved one for a long period of time? You're like, I can't wait. I'm so excited. We've been looking through a mirror dimly our entire lives. Then we will see him face to face. That's an exciting thing. That's the most exciting thing is that we get to see Jesus face to face. If we're hesitating, when we read that verse, in verse 28, when it says, We can have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If we hesitate there, if you're like, I really got to get some things in order, then get them in order. Because you shouldn't be lodging with anyone else right now. You should be living with Jesus right now. There should be no need for shame because you're living with Jesus. And you're like, I haven't been. You can fix that right now. You can confess, you can repent right here and right now. Don't wait for the end of service. Just do it in your own heart. If you're watching online, do it right now. Don't wait. Don't wait to confess and repent and get your heart right with the Lord. If there are ears to hear in this room or anywhere else, spiritual eyes that have been opened, I implore you, confess your sin. He is faithful and just and he will forgive you and cleanse you. His word says so. He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. And if you come to Jesus now without doubting, he is going to give you his wisdom. He is going to lead you. He's going to guide you. James 1, 5 through 8 says this. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But, verse 6 is important. Let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. 
That double-mindedness lives in anyone who believes that they can lodge with Jesus one night and something or someone else on others. That is double-mindedness at its core. And he says, you need to not doubt that when you ask God for wisdom, he will give it. Now, here's the question for us to answer on our own. When God gives us his wisdom, do we receive it? Do we actually do what he says? Or do we not like it very much because we're seeing it through the eyes of our flesh? When God asks us to come and to be humble before him, and we're like, I'd rather be prideful. I'd rather be more about me. I'd rather do what I want. That's doubting. That's a heart that doubts that God is good. That's a heart that doubts that God knows what he's doing. That he is sovereign. We can't be double-minded. That's a heart that wants to lodge somewhere else. Barclay said it really well. God's summons comes to all to rise and bid this world farewell. I'm going to read that again. God's summons comes to all to rise and bid this world farewell. Rise up and say goodbye. We live in a heavenly kingdom. We belong. Our citizenship, as Paul would say in Philippians, it's in heaven. It's not here anymore. We've been transferred. Thank goodness it's not to human resources. That double-mindedness, you guys, lives in anyone who believes that they can lodge with Jesus one night and anything else on another. I pray that none of us in this room would shy away from the Lord when he returns. I think we should all run to him. We should all be stoked to see him. That we would be confident and rejoicing that we finally get to behold him face to face. I don't think that we really understand, and even John himself says, what we're going to be hasn't been revealed yet. We haven't seen this kind of a thing yet. You haven't experienced this yet. None of us have. We're going to experience something completely new when we see Jesus face to face. Isn't that exciting? Speaking of seeing Jesus who is righteous and the one who saved us, look at verse 29 again. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. If Jesus is our home, if Jesus is where we live and we know his righteousness personally and his forgiveness for our sin has covered us, it ought to be impossible for others in the world to interact with us in any way without that coming through. People in the world should know that you belong to Jesus, even without you saying, I'm a Christian, right? By the way, lots of people say they're a Christian. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? I heard the the Lord compared to a, a man who was carrying a water pot, carrying it on his shoulder. The water fell and it was dropping. You ever watch someone carry like a water pot that was really full? And as you move, you just can't. It's like that really full cup of coffee. You just know you shouldn't risk it, but you want all of it. You know, this morning I had a coffee incident. Um, I was sitting and thinking and not paying attention. And I had my pinky. I don't know what I was doing. I had my pinky on my mug. And I'm sitting there like this, looking out the window. And and the coffee (laughs) just covered my entire shirt. This is not what I was originally going to be today. It was baby blue. The water pot. So the, the guy with the water pot who's carrying it on his shoulder, right? And it's really full, right? And it's splish splashing around. <laughs> the young people are like, this makes a lot of sense. This is, yeah, Mike's really scattered. Anyway, the water falls, it's dropping, it's dropping, and everyone 
could track the person who was carrying this water pot because they could see the splashes of water on the ground, right? If you live in a dry climate, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We don't. Um, in dry climates, that's how it works. You can see those water spots everywhere they go. You know where they are. You can track them because it's just spilling out as they go. The picture, this is how it should be with us. We carry such a fullness of grace that everyone should know where we've been by what we've left behind. Everyone should know where we've been, Christians, because of what we've left behind. The legacy that we leave behind that directs people's eyes to Jesus are those water droplets that people can look at and go, they were here. They were here. We can see it. There's evidence. By the way, that doesn't mean leaving your initials on things. That doesn't mean leaving pictures of yourself up in places, right? It's not about us. It should leave the mark of Christ on those places. People should be able to see that you belong to Jesus. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. It should be evident in our lives. In the first chapter of John's gospel, in John 1, 12 through 13, it reads this way, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Those who were born of God, the children of God. There's a connection here with this passage to what John's already explained in chapter 2 and what he's about to explain and open our eyes to in chapter 3. And as we look at the beginning of chapter 3, this just naturally flows into it. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. The connection between John 1, 12 through 13 and 1 John 3, 1 has this amazing spiritual truth to teach us, church. Listen. By nature, we are God's creatures, but it's by grace that we become the children of God. By nature, we are God's creatures, but it's by grace that we become the children of God. There's a difference, isn't there? We know it just like we know the difference of a house to a home. I was created by God. But when I gave my heart to Christ, when he opened my eyes and he called me to himself, and I believed in him, I became his son. There are two English words which are really closely connected, but whose meanings are widely different. The words are paternity and fatherhood. Paternity describes a relationship in which a man is responsible for the physical existence of a child. Right? We understand that one. Fatherhood describes an intimate, loving relationship. In the sense of paternity, we're children of God, right? He made us. But in the sense of fatherhood, we are children of God only when he makes his gracious approach to us and we respond. Hence the reality of John's statement in 1 John 4, 19, where he says that we love because he first loved us. We are children because he sent his son to die for us on the cross. We would not be children without him, without his fatherhood. In the New Testament, we see the idea of adoption used in a handful of cases. That God took action and reached out to us even though we were not a part of his family and brought us in and made us his own. This is why adoption is so beautiful. It's why it's such a beautiful picture of Christ 
and a beautiful picture of God the Father and, and children who are cast off or who have not been raised or do, who don't have anyone to rely on and love them. And God says, I love you so much that even though you're not a part of my family, I'm going to make you a part of my family. Even though you have rejected me, I'm going to send my perfect son to die on the cross for you so that you too can know the love that God has in his heart for you. God has always loved us. Jesus is the extension of that. For all those, Paul writes in Romans 8, verses 14 through 15, all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You were adopted by God himself brought into his family, made co-heirs with Christ. Do you see? Do you see it? 1 John 3 says you should see. Look at it one more time. See what great love the Father has given us. There is a difference between seeing and seeing, isn't there? I can see people in this room but there's a difference when I stop and I give my attention, right? Oh, I'm still seeing, but I'm taking note. I'm engaged. John calls us to engagement. Engage, see. The great love. God's love for us is otherworldly. Better than any. It's Bella. This than we are. It's higher than we've seen. It's, it's anything you've seen. Move is a whole different kind of love. That was for free. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, sweetie. Some of them were going, what? <laughs> Teens are like, I can't believe he just said that out loud in church. You guys, this is otherworldly kind of love. It's higher than we can define. It frustrates our language to try and define it. We have one word for love. We use the same word for loving pizza. Even in the Greek and Hebrew languages, there were more words for love to describe what kind of love this is. This is something to behold, and it's difficult to comprehend. It's wonderful and massive and great, and it creates awe in the eye of the heart that's been opened by it. It's something that when you stare at it, the more you look at it, the more beautiful it is. You can look at it on the macro level and see that it's as big as the universe. You can look at it under a microscope and see it's so detailed, you can't get in deep enough. That's the love of God. That's the fatherhood of God that has reached into our lives and made us his own. Christians, we have no reason to ever be ashamed or to ever shrink back. This is the love of the Father. This is the love of Jesus that will appear to us. Run to him. Don't be ashamed. Never be afraid of him. Run to him always. When you discover sin in your life, run to him all the more. Because you remember that he died for you when you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's when Christ died for you. That's how much he loves you. You can't send your way out of his affection. You haven't fallen too far. You haven't failed so much that he's sick and tired of you. Because a love that spans the universe and is so minute you can't even see all the detail on the inside is for you in Christ Jesus. See it. Look at it. Stop and take notice. That he would love pitiful creatures such as us who have rolled about in filth and decay. The Old Testament language is so powerful. I hesitate to use it because it's so graphic and gory. About who we 
are. And he says, I loved you when you were there. Not only in that state, but there of our own doing, hateful and rebellious. How transformative is his love to cleanse us from our sewage-laden souls. And not just transform us and save us and then put us in some outhouse and say, all right, you can be in heaven, but it's in that place. You can come, but, but not too close. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He says, you're mine. I've given you my name. You're with me forever. Church, every single one of us ought to go, okay, this is home. This is the feeling of being home again. What kind of intense love is this? It's the greatest thing I could ever speak of. We don't wear a label that says, your children. Did you catch it in the text? That we might be called the son of God? He goes, no. That we might be called the daughter of God? No. You are. And we are. It's a fact. It's been done. And we know our father. Jesus has shown him to us. And we know because of his word what he plans to do. We don't have to sit in the dark anymore. Oh, I wonder what God's up to. Prepping. He's prepping. He's waiting, but only for a little while. And then he's going to take action. And I don't have to worry about it. I'm not over there with all the instruments like, two weeks, I got it, I called it, finally. The stars have opened up to me. I figured out when Jesus is coming back. Don't have to worry about it. First of all, I'm not that bright. Second of all, he's coming when he says so. And if he is all-powerful and he is my savior and he loves me that much, I'm good. How many days has he given me? I don't know, but I want him to teach me to number them. Because however many I have, I want to serve him. Because he loves me this much. We know that Jesus is coming back. We as his children can anticipate that with excitement, be ready to run to him with open arms and hold him and see his face. What a future, what a hope, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? The world doesn't get it. You talk to people in the world about this stuff, they're like, Mike needs a downer. He is way too excited for one cup of coffee. That's right. That's right, I am. Because I see what the Lord has shown us in his word. The world doesn't get it. The world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously because it has no idea what he's up to. They have no idea what the Lord's doing. They see strength and riches as marks of power and prestige and things to be attained and acquired. We see a call to be living sacrifices. To lay our lives down. To sacrifice ourselves here because we await a savior who's going to rule and reign forever. Not so that then we can get what we want. He is the goal. We wait for Jesus because he's all we want. I'm reading a book right now about discipleship. And so many things in, in, in the discipleship discussion are about program or, or, you know, prepping people different things. And there's nothing wrong with program. Programs can be very helpful. But here's where the program should point us. 
that what we want the most is Jesus. What we long for the most is the Lord, that we should be aiming and directing our lives towards him, and because of that, equipped for that task. The world doesn't recognize us. In a lot of ways, it doesn't take us seriously. It has no idea who he is or what he's up to. May Jesus use us to light the way for those who are lost and in confusion. He wants to use you to light the way for those who are lost and confused by these things. He's equipping us together to reach them. When we look in this mirror that hangs over our kitchen sink, maybe in our room, I don't know about you, but I've limited the amount of mirrors that are around me. But when you, I think one person got it. When you, <laughs> an ugly joke. You guys, <laughs> think about this. When you look in the mirror, we know how far we've fallen from perfection. Every day we walk this earth, it gets a little bit worse. Dear friends, we're God's children now. Right? Right now. That's for now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. I know it's really depressing getting older. Right? I know it's a bummer. Why are we worried about it? This isn't the end. This is part of the process. If I don't get older, I'm not getting closer to Jesus. Bring it on, baby. All the wrinkles, all the grays. My wife thinks I'm weird. I know it's like, no, you don't understand. There is pain there. Oh, I get it. But you know what? There's glory on the other side. And I want that more. I want to be with Jesus more. Whatever gets me to Jesus faster, yay. You guys, I'm all about moving forward in this. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. When we look in the mirror, we know how far we've fallen. But when Jesus returns, Paul explains it really well in Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21. And this is a verse I mentioned earlier. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He will transform us. He will transform us physically. He will remove sin from us. I can't wait for that. Not only the effects of sin, but I can't wait for sin to be extracted from my life. And that's exactly what John's talking about in 1 John 3, 2, where he says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. I quote this verse all the time, uh, Philippians 1, 6, because it encourages me immensely. But I want us to remember this in the, in the context of what we're talking about here, this transformation of our physical bodies. I am sure of this, Paul writes in Philippians 1, 6, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what he's talking about. What God has begun in you, emotionally, mentally, and physically, what he has done in your life, the spiritual overhaul that he's putting you through, the sanctification, he will complete it the moment we see Jesus. When Jesus returns and you behold him, it's done. It's completed. On the day of Christ's return, we'll be finished. And as William Barclay said as well, he said, those who know that God stands at the end of the road will make all life a preparation to meet him. 
Those who know that God stands at the end of the road will make all of life a preparation to meet him. That's where we're at. If we are living our lives in such a way that it's not in preparation to meet Jesus, we need to make those adjustments. We are driving and striving at seeing him face to face. All of our life, we are conditioning ourselves for this. In order to see God, we must have that purity that he provides us in Christ. Not only is he saying be pure, he's saying I'm equipping you for that. By the way, you couldn't be pure on your own. I don't know if you know that. We can't purify ourselves. He is working that in us. He says, are you a willing participant of the process of God in purification of your life? Are you, partic- are you, are you all in? Lord, what are you going to clean up today? That thing that you love so much that you shouldn't. Okay. Is that going to hurt? Like, you know, you ever like show up for, for, for your work day? You wake up in the morning. That's, that's the work day of this picture. You show up and you're like, okay, God, ready to go. And he's like, closet number four, please. You're like, no, 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 I, I, this is, you didn't tell me, uh, I've been working on closet number three. And he's like, number four, please open the door. It's his purification process. He wants to purify us. And sometimes that may not be in the way that we're anticipating. That's okay. Am I making every effort to put myself in this place where whatever he wants to cleanse in me, he can have? That he can have whatever part of me that he desires. Do we allow him the room to press in and have all the things that he desires to have? Does he have full reign in our lives? Is our flesh getting in the way? Jesus said it so well in Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8. He said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Look at John, 1 John 3, 3 again. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Why? Because we're ready to see God. We want him to purify our hearts because we are ready to see him. Are you ready? Are you ready right now? I hope that every person in this room is ready to run to him at this very moment, that nothing would hold you back, that there wouldn't be just one thing that you need to do real quick. You know, I, I've... I've talk to so many young people that would say, you know, we would talk about Jesus returning. Like, well, yeah, I'm excited about that, but I'd really like to get married first. You know, and, and, then, and then I'd really like to do this thing first. And they say it, I'm like, why? No, I mean, not in a bad way. <laughs> married people are laughing the hardest. Look around the room. They're laughing the hardest. Why? What's better than Jesus? The answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. Marriage is good. Marriage is great, right, babe? Marriage is great. She's like, laugh now, funny man. (laughs) You guys, marriage is fantastic. It does not compare to Jesus. Guys, nothing in this life compares to him. He is our everything. He's our goal. He's the point. Knowing that the Lord desires his church so much, we need to take up our part of aligning our hearts, our desires, our actions, and our inactions with his will. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, we read this. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, notice this, who is your life. Not a, little, not a lot of wiggle room there, is there? He is your life. When he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Because you'll see him and you'll be changed. You guys, everything that God has given you is a gift. He's given you a marriage. Be faithful to it. Love that person as Christ loves you. If he's given you children, be faithful to them. If he's given you friends, if he's given you family, if he's given you coworkers, I could go on. Whatever he has given you, be faithful to those things. But these things are not our hope. These things are not the ultimate end. These are the things we are called to be faithful to as an expression of his love until he comes and we receive him with open arms. Worship team, would you guys come up? As we close our time, I just want to remind you guys, this is our hope. This is our hope. This is what we are longing for. This is what we are looking for. And maybe some of us have kind of felt hopeless. Maybe over the last couple of years, there's just been a lot of hopelessness. I don't know if you guys have, you, most of you are probably aware, it's, it's been in the news everywhere. Depression rates skyrocketing. Suicide rates skyrocketing. People are struggling. They're having a hard time. There is darkness in the souls of human beings all around our world. There's a struggle and a battle against sin. Church, we need to let the light of Christ shine on our lives fresh. He is everything. He is our life. And our hope is outside of the influence of this world. Our joy, because of our hope being on the outside, is also limitless. That's how we have joy in the midst of whatever we're going through, because our hope is not changeable by the circumstances in the world. It can't change who God is. It's untouchable. Let's take a moment and ask God to refresh us with his perspective, with his vision. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would let us see the great love that you have for us. We are your children. We want to be called your children because it's noticeable. But Lord, the reality is that to all those who are in Christ Jesus, we are your children. By you and for you we were made. And we await the return of your son, our savior. It's in that moment that we'll be completed by you. And eternally, we will remain with you as you have remained with us. Holy Spirit, confirm the things of Christ in our hearts as, as he said you would. Teach us from the word continually as we submit ourselves to the scriptures. We don't look to read anything into the word of God. We want to know and understand and live what it says. You have not forsaken us. You've been eternally faithful. We love you. We see through the mirror dimly and we love you. How much more when we behold your face. Thank you for your grace. The compassion that you show us every day. And even as we pray, we pray 
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. As we worship, may the praises of your people bless you, exalt you, be pleasing to you in every way. Pray it in your name.